This is the podcast from Connection Community Church for this Sunday, June 12, 2011. I am second, my identity. They say football is life in West Texas. They say being a good athlete is life. But what happens when it's over? What happens when football's over? What happens if you can't play sports anymore? If that's your life, what happens then? When I was growing up, things, things were rough. My mom was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis when I was around 10 years old. Um, she passed away when I was in ninth grade. I have three brothers and a sister. We kind of had to raise ourselves. And that's kind of where my hard-headedness comes from. It comes from no one can tell me anything because I've done it on my own. I played football in high school, and uh, I, I, I was pretty good. I, I was pretty good. Good enough to, to get exposure and to get a scholarship offer from several schools, and I, and I chose to go to Texas Tech. When I first got there, man, I was, I was, a, I was a hothead, just thinking that I had the world in, in a chokehold. I was bringing my A-game in life, that I knew, I knew what I was doing. I knew I was doing it right. I honestly believed that the success that I had achieved was, uh, it was only going to get better by me doing it the way I thought I should do it. And, um, and that, that was absolutely not true. I like to just equate it like this, that if you, if you're a thousand steps away from God, which I was, God will take 999 steps just so you'll take that one. October 18th, 2006. I'm blocking a linebacker in, in team drills, and someone just rolls on my ankle, and like that, I'm just down. They took me in, got x-rays, and that quick, it's, it's just done. There's no fixing it. You have to get surgery. So after I had my, my first surgery, that the swelling never really went down, I went in for my second surgery six weeks after my first, and I wake up, and, and I come to, and the doctor's looking at me. And I was like, How, how'd the surgery go? He said, no, it, did, it didn't go good. I said, well, what, what does that mean? What, what does that mean? What, do you, I mean? what are you trying to tell me? They said, well, we gotta do another surgery and clean it out. And you know, the, the same thing went on, I mean, five other times. Every time waking up, hoping that the nightmare was over. I was ready to quit. I, I was ready to quit. My identity was gone. God had taken my identity and in, in the person who I said I was, which was a college athlete, and took it from me. Yanked the rug right out from underneath me. All my friends that I thought were my friends never came and saw me, never came and really visited. It was two guys that I really didn't talk to much on the team came and said, Baron, God has a plan for you. I was skeptic. I was mad at, I was mad at God. I still didn't want to just get the hint that God had 
put a roadblock. God had removed all the distractions in the one big distraction that was keeping me from him. And, and that was football. I eventually started going to, going to church, started going to Bible studies, and changing my life in little ways. I started reading the Word, getting in the Word more. And it started small. I, it started with baby steps. Eventually, the ankle got better. The infection went away. It was not an overnight transformation. It was not one of those things you wake up and your legs heal, and I start dancing around, and I say, God, you healed me. It wasn't one of those. Oh, man, after that, things got, things got harder after that. But slowly, things started to change in my life. I said, God, I know I'm a screw-up. I know I'm a screw-up. You know I'm a screw-up. I understand that, that you gave me these talents and these abilities, and I spit on them. I spit all over them. I disrespected the things that you gave me and, and tried to claim them for, for myself, to bring glory for me. And I remember the first time I put back on my cleats and went back out to play. The feeling that I had knowing that the only reason I was out there was because God put me back out there. To me, Jesus dying on the cross is the ultimate act of love in the ultimate act of obedience. That's why when I score touchdowns, I don't, I don't pound my chest anymore. I don't pound my chest or, or point to my jersey so people can see my number or the name on the back of my jersey. I don't do, I don't do it. All I can do every time I get in the end zone is point up. Point up and say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, because you are so so, so, so faithful. You were faithful when, when I wasn't. You were faithful when I laughed at you. You were faithful when I said, I didn't want to have a part of you. But yet somehow you turned all of that into a powerful testimony. I have two scars on my ankle on the left and right side. And uh, I think that God gives a scar sometimes to, to remind us where we've been, and more importantly, that, that he's healed us. And then once we have those scars, we can show people and, and say, look, this is what God's done for me. My name is Baron Batch, and I'm second. Well, good morning, Connection Church. My name is Carrie Jones. I'm Alan Jones. And we're two sinners who have been saved by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with us, please? God, we thank you for this day, a day that you've made, a day where we have an opportunity to be in your presence, to know you more, to hear your word. Open our hearts, our minds, our spirits to you so that we might leave a little bit differently than when we walked in this morning. We pray this in your most awesome name. And all of Connection Church said, Amen. It's a pretty dramatic story there with uh, Baron Batch, isn't it? Yeah. Especially when he says that part where he says that God 
took my identity and the person who I was. Pretty intense. And the question is, do, do we believe God does that sort of thing? Well, how about if it helps bring about an eternal difference in our lives? Interesting thing for a baron, after he recovered from that injury, he continued to play football down in that college down south. And, in fact, he excelled. He excelled. He finished his... What was the name of the college? Okay, I can't (laughs) say that T word right now. Texas. Anyway, he finished his collegiate... I love you, Megan. (laughs) He finished his collegiate career at Tech as the school's eighth-ranked all-time leader in rushing. He rushed a whole lot. This sounds like a whole lot of yards to me, 2,501. Then he was chosen by the Pittsburgh Steelers in the seventh round of the NFL draft just this past April. Not bad for someone whose identity as a football player was taken from him. You know... Who we are is, uh, is so often associated with what we do. Um, when we meet somebody new, oftentimes the first exchange is, what's your name? And very often the second exchange is, what do you do? What do you do? And, and, and unfortunately, knowing what somebody does, does, does usually doesn't tell us who they really are. And sometimes we allow that perception that others have of us to limit our identity, to limit who we are. And then, that being said, we're often our own worst enemies when it comes to limiting who we are and what we can do and what God would want us to do, who we can become. Baron Batch had to uh, face this when he considered that his football career might be over. Now, without football, who was he? Who was he? I mean, yeah, football was a part of him, but there had to be more, or else a serious injury would not only end his career in football, but end who he is. Now, what's that about? Our identity must be more than what we do. In fact, let's say this together. We are more than what we do. You know, the Bible is full of stories of people with, let's call them identity challenges. (laughs) One of our favorites involves a guy named Jacob. Now, maybe you've heard of Jacob. His story is found in Genesis around chapter 32, 34 in that section there. First book of the Bible, Genesis. Jacob had a twin brother, Esau. They were the children of sons of Isaac, who was that long-awaited son of Abraham. Esau was first out of his mother's womb. He He was first, but his twin brother, Jacob, followed closely, so closely that he came out grabbing his heel. In fact, that's what that name Jacob means, heel grabber, and how appropriate a name that was, because Jacob, for at least the first part of his life, spent most of his time grabbing, grabbing the heel, wheeling and dealing, striving and conniving, trying to work the system to his advantage. 
Jacob was slick. <clears throat> he was slick. <clears throat> slick enough that he played upon his brother's hunger one day in order to get that same brother to hand over his birthright, his inheritance. Slick enough to dress up like that same brother so that he could fool his nearly blind father who gave him the blessing that was reserved for the oldest son, for his brother Esau. Slick enough that he had to leave town quickly when his brother found out what he, would, what he had done because <laughs> Jacob became afraid for his very, very life. He was a heel grabber. Heel grabber. That was Jacob's identity, at least for the beginning of his years of an adult. And so Jacob leaves home one step ahead of his brother at the suggestion of his mother. She was pretty slick as well. By the way, dysfunctional family, it's all through the Bible, and this is a premier example. Anyway, he went to live with mom's brother, Uncle Laban. <laughs> and this uncle at times was even slicker than Jacob. After, after marrying two of Laban's daughters, it was two because the first one the dad did a switch, he ended up with the wrong sister, and seven years later, then, long story, read it sometime, we're not going there today, but it's an incredible story, ends up with marrying the two daughters and spent many years helping Uncle Laban get very prosperous while he prospered himself, thanks to God, and, and, and then he, he felt God calling him to go back to the homeland, back to, back to where he came from, and the Lord told him that he would be with him as he went back. Well, the route back went through Esau land, and he was beginning to get a little bit nervous about that, and so Jacob sent some messengers ahead of time to tell his brother Esau that he hoped to find favor in his brother's eyes. Well, the messengers returned saying that Esau was coming to him with 400 men. Now, that's like a small army, isn't it? You can imagine Jacob must have been scared to death. Ever the slick one, Jacob then divided his, his people and his flocks and his herd and his, his camels so that Esau wouldn't get it all. He had it go in different directions. And then he prayed. Maybe he should have prayed first. Then he prayed for God to save him at the hand, from the hand of his brother. And then he, and he spent the night where he was, and he's thinking maybe he can maybe make things a little better by offering his brother a gift. So this is quite a gift package. 200 uh, female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 female camels, and their young, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 male donkeys. Nice gift package, don't you think? <laughs> yeah. And so he sends this herd ahead uh, with some of his servants, and... And, and, and the idea was that if they encountered Esau, they were to tell him that this was a gift from his brother Jacob. He's trying to kind of ease into this thing. Jacob's hoping to pacify his brother, hoping that as a result, Esau would openly receive him when he saw him. Well, then, that night, Jacob took both of his wives and his maidservants, I don't get that either, <laughs> and um, 11 sons and crossed some water, it was a ford called Jabuk. And after he sent them across the stream, he then sent all of his possessions. 
And here's what scripture tells us happened next. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. And Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But uh, he replied, Why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. And so Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The the thought was, if you saw God face to face, you would instantly die, but he was spared. And then the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. And therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. And so Jacob wrestled with God all night long. Have you ever wrestled with God? Have you ever wrestled with God all night long? I know I have. And it's interesting because a lot of times that wrestling has to do with our identity, who we are and whose we are. Oh, it might appear that it's about this or about that, but ultimately it boils down to who we are. I am so thankful that Jesus is part of my life because I'm in a little identity crisis right now. You know, after 30 years of being a parent, come August 27th, our house is empty. I mean, that's, that's really weird for me. I'm so thankful for Jesus, who really is my identity, even though I try that mom identity keeps trying to creep up. Many of us try to work overtime for God's blessing, just like Jacob did. He worked and he worked and he worked to try to get that blessing from God. Well, he got it, but it was there all the time for him. He didn't even have to work hard for it. It's something that God wanted to give him all along. It's a free gift. It's called grace. No strings attached. And God gives it to us as well, even though we oftentimes think we have to struggle and strive and work for it. It's a free gift. No strings attached. Well, well, Jacob wrestled all night long, and, and, and as a result, he found... His, his new identity. <laughs> That's wonderful in the Bible how oftentimes it, you get a name change when this new identity occurs, and he did as well. No longer would he be Jacob, the heel grabber. No, 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 no. He, he gets a new name, Israel. And one of the meanings of Israel is struggles with God. I'll bet many of us could have that name at one time or another, couldn't we? Israel struggles with God. Jacob struggled with God, and he wrestled with God, and he was given then the name of the nation of God's chosen people. He had 11 sons at this time. He had another son later. 
father of the 12 tribes of Israel. There's that name. Wow. He came out like Baron Batch with a physical reminder of wrestling with God with his wrenched hip. Now, Jacob would limp for the rest of his life after wrestling with God, a reminder that God carried him through. I was in a really bad accident a number of years ago where I was being pulled by a, in a tube, a boat was pulling me, and we were going really fast, and the, the objective that day was to have the pastor fall off the tube. So it was our youth group downstate, and um, that tow rope was pretty long. Well, the boat went under the bridge, and I hit the very large abutment of that bridge on Route 13 down in Seaford. I should have died. What I'm left with is a really messed up neck and back. But I praise God for that because I limp away knowing that God spared me for future work, more work in the kingdom of God. And so it's a physical reminder of God's grace and mercy in my life. You know, when God is not at the center of our identity, we are sure to fall short. And when it becomes our identity, our true identity, when God becomes first, then we are second. God first, we are second. I don't know if, well, God certainly didn't prevent that accident. And so it's a continual reminder, God is first, I am second. God is the author of our identity. There's a wonder, wonderful little story about identity that uh, it's, it's probably been embellished over the years, as many stories have are, you know, but it seems that there's a seminary professor, actually his name's Fred Craddock, I've I've heard of him. He's a, uh, I think he was a preaching professor uh, or seminary professor. But anyway, he and his wife were, were vacationing in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And, and they were at breakfast in the morning. And, and as they were sitting there, a, a white-haired, distinguished gentleman is kind of going table to table, mingling with the, with the people. And, and Craddock kind of went some time away, you know, with his wife. says, I sure hope he doesn't come to our table. So you know what happened next. <laughs> he comes to their table. And, 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 you know, this guy's kind of bigger in life. And he says, uh, so, so uh, where are you all from? He said, well, we're from Oklahoma. Well, welcome to the great state of Tennessee. He says, what do you do? There's that second question again. What do you do for a living? And Craddock says, well, I, I'm a teacher at a seminary. I teach at a seminary. He says, oh, so you teach people how to preach. Man, that's a good thing. I have got a great preacher story for you. And he pulls up a chair and sits at the table. And Craddock's thinking, great, just what I need. One more preacher story. And he, and he, he points out the way he said, you, you see, that, see that mountain there? Well, near the base of that mountain, uh, a, a boy was born to an unwed mother many years ago. And, and he had a really difficult time all his life because that was kind of frowned upon in these parts. And, and constantly, everybody would always ask him the question, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Uh, school? At, at grocery store, at the drugstore, who's your dad? At, at school, he'd, he'd avoid lunch. He'd, he'd stay in from recess. He'd avoid going to the grocery store because he got so tired and embarrassed by the question, who, who's your daddy? 
But then they got a new preacher in town when he was about 12 years old, and he'd still go to church, but he'd, he'd come in after the beginning of the message, and he'd leave after, uh, uh, he'd come in after it started, but leave before it ended, you know, to avoid the crowd. But one Sunday, <laughs> one Sunday this new pastor cut the benediction short, <laughs> and he got caught. He got caught in the crowd going to the door, and the next thing he knew, he felt a, a hand on his shoulder, and the scared little boy looked up, and there's the new pastor who knew nothing of his history. And the pastor said to him as he looked down, Son, who's your daddy? And the whole earth, just like this, was quiet, wandering, looking at this kid, waiting for the answer. And his pastor didn't know the story, but in that moment he kind of could sense what was going on. And through discernment that only the Holy Spirit can bring, he, uh, he looked at the kid and he says, Wait a minute. I know who you are. I see the family resemblance. You're a child of God. And with that, he put his hand on the boy's shoulder. And he says, son, you have got a great inheritance. Go claim it. Wow. Well, this kid who, who didn't smile much, he, he smiled that day. In fact, when he left that church that day, he was never the same. His life was never the same after that. When people in town would say, who's your daddy? He'd just simply say, I'm a child of God. Well, the white-haired gentleman, he kind of got up and said to Fred and his wife, it's a good story, isn't it? Fred and his wife agreed it was a good story. And as he started leaving, he, he turned back and said, you know, if it hadn't been for that pastor telling me that day how much God loved me, I probably wouldn't amount to anything. And he left. And Fred and his wife are sitting there stunned. They're stunned. And they call the waitress over. I said, do you know who that guy was? Sitting at the table with us, talking to us? I said, well, I guess so. Everybody knows who that is. Everybody knows that. That's Ben Hooper. Ben Hooper, former governor of the state of Tennessee. That's a heck of a story, isn't it? Heck of a story. It is a great story because of the common denominator. The common denominator that every single one of us share. The common denominator that you and you and you and you and you, we all have the same daddy. And his name is God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Every living, breathing person, we all have the same daddy. Even though we, you know, have biological fathers, whether they're part of our lives, whether they're not, whether they were in the household, whether they're not, guess what? We all share that inheritance of Jesus the Christ. We all have the same daddy. And it's from that daddy that we know who we are and whose we are. It's from that daddy that we get our purpose in life. It's from that daddy that we get our true identity. And when we claim that identity, we understand who we are and whose we are and how we're defined because it's by a loving God. Now, the funny thing is, and a funny and absolutely glorious thing is, Jesus shared that same daddy, didn't he? In fact, 
That's what he called him. In Mark chapter 14, verse 36, Jesus calls out and says, Abba, Father. Maybe you've heard that. You ever heard that? There's a song, Abba, Father. And uh, that Abba word is a word that, <clears throat> if you look into it, 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 it represents that close, intimate relationship that Jesus had with the God, the Father in heaven. Very, very close. Re- and and the, the kind of the closest word we might have in the English language is our word, Daddy. Isn't that great? Daddy. Yeah, and, and, and that's who Jesus got his identity from. I mean, think about John 14, 9, where Jesus is talking to Philip. And he says this, he says, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for, for you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me, what? Has seen the Father. Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. That's his identity. That's it. How, how can you say, show us the Father, man? It's, that's the identity right there. Jesus knew where his identity came from, God the Father. And it's important for us to know where, identi- where our identity comes from as well. Baron Batch learned his true identity through a football injury. James and John and Andrew and Peter, they all learned who they were. They weren't fishermen, but they were fishers of people. Who are you? Well, God knows you. God designed you. God desired you. God breathed you into being. You are God's child. And we challenge you today, if you haven't already done so, to claim your inheritance. To claim your identity as a child of God. Yeah, you know, God is first and and we are second. And, And it's incredible what lengths God will go to for us to realize our identity. In the case of Baron Batch, you know, I'd hate to say that he caused that injury, but at the same token, the injury occurred and he used that, didn't he, to help Baron realize his identity. And, and if realizing that identity is going to have, I mean, the difference of uh, being with God through eternity, I think God goes to great, will go to great lengths for us to realize our identity in him, don't you think? In fact, the greatest length he went to was where he gave his own son. You know, sometimes we get pretty far from God in our identity, don't we? We get very far removed, and we try to, to uh, create, create an identity through other things, uh, through things we probably shouldn't be doing with a relationship we probably shouldn't be having, with uh, uh, habits that we should be uh, not establishing. And we get pretty far from God. And, and our identity, uh, it'd be hard for me. Well, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. No. <laughs> With the behavior, no. You haven't seen the Father if you've seen me. But God, God draws us back, doesn't he? Draws us back into that identity. And reminds us that we are children of God. All the way to giving his own son in order to draw us back in to that relationship that we once knew. That's just incredible, isn't it? Absolutely incredible. So that we would know when the question's asked, who's your daddy? We'd be able to say, I am a child 
of God, and I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Let me say that with me. Who's your daddy? I am a child of God, and I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Holy God. Wow. I love the story of Jacob. He's such a piece of work. And yet you, you hang with him, and you draw him, and you wrestle with him, and you, you wrestle him right into back so he realizes that his true identity is in you. And I, I guess I'd pray that you'd wrestle with each one here if we, if we don't know who our identity is. If it takes wrestling with you, please bring it on. Help us to realize that you are our identity, that we substitute so many other things and we pretend this, that, or the other, but our only true identity is you through Jesus the Christ and in the power of your Holy Spirit. It's in his name and in that power we pray this day. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast. For more information about Connection Community Church in Middletown, Delaware, please visit our website at www.connectioncc.org. You can also call our church offices at 302-378-7692. Connection Community Church. Connecting people with Jesus and the life that he offers.